We had plans for 2020, but 2020 had other plans for us. For me, with regards to my own work in my teaching and my research, I had an experiment I wanted to implement. In the teaching of students, I wanted to better integrate design with making. And in my research work, having recently been appointed as Chair in Spatial Transformation, I had a strategy in place with regards to what I would accomplish and which partnerships I would put in place. But this year was very different. We started the year with confidence and with plans, as I said. And when COVID-19 came and the lockdown started, for a few weeks we were stunned. We were forced to be still and reflect, and it was sometimes very scary. It made us rethink of many things. Thoughts and values we held about everything in general and teaching, research and practice had to be unpacked and reassessed. At a professional level, I believe there's been a lack of foresight. As built environment professionals, we always knew that this pandemic was coming, but we had never bothered to look closely or plan or prepare for it. So we were taken by surprise. In my work and writing and in designing for unknown futures, I have emphasised that our buildings, neighbourhoods and cities need to be developed with a view towards supporting the resilient strategies of communities. And I have argued that we should be able to accommodate for stability and change, for the formal and the informal, for the unexpected and the unknown. Resilience, I have declared, is the availability of infrastructure and the ability to support a diverse economy. I have often written about and spoken about the ability to increase a community's resilience capacity to reduce its vulnerabilities. And I have argued that we need to involve everyone in design decision-making. I believe that equal access to opportunity and spatial justice are conditions for increasing resilience. Increased resilience means that cities need to be considered as whole ecosystems and not as fragments. However, the COVID crisis hit us hard at a time when none of these conditions for resilience had been met. Under the circumstances, how do we map a way forward and how do we take this experience into account? How can we imagine solutions that we have not yet imagined? We are confronted with a situation now where destinies are more intertwined. A collapse in healthcare and economic systems will affect everyone, irrespective of class. I truly believe that urban environments that are successful work for everyone, irrespective of income. A solution to the COVID crisis means that our first line of defence is in areas of extreme poverty. Maybe COVID is an opportunity for us to correct the imbalances and achieve equality and integration. As we tried to make sense of this, I have moved from thinking about resilience because the conditions for resilience were just not there to thinking about anti-fragility and how communities might emerge stronger from this crisis. So as I've been reflecting on all of this, and I had already started working on my various projects, COVID proved to be very difficult at times, but at the same time, I realised that it opened up great opportunities, and this is what I will be exploring in this series.
Welcome to the podcast on African cities, where we envision alternative futures, understand African cities and people's experiences at a deeper level. We also engage in dialogue between African cities. Our host, Professor Amira Osman, Research Chair in Spatial Transformation, is located in Pretoria, South Africa, at the Tswane University of Technology. My name is Amira Osman. I am a Professor of Architecture and Chair in Spatial Transformation, located at the city of Shwani at the Shwani University of Technology in Pretoria. The Department of Architecture and Industrial Design is located at the Faculty of Engineering within the university. Why this new podcast, why this initiative, and why now? As I mentioned, I've recently been appointed in this position where I'm exploring spatial transformation or positive change in the built environment. I see the position as an opportunity to bring to the fore issues around spatial transformation in cities, but very much with a design perspective. There's a lot of work being conducted in the field, but I believe that I bring a unique design lens. The work that is being conducted on spatial transformation from different disciplines is highly significant and will be referred to often and will be acknowledged. But I believe that there is a need for a specific design focus to this problem. So a little bit about my background to lead us into this conversation. I am a Sudanese South African architect. I am an academic and a researcher. I practiced for many years in Khartoum and I still maintain professional links with my home country. I engage in collaborations there, and I'm very much invested in what is happening in the Sudan. I have lived in South Africa for over 20 years and worked at various academic and research institutions in Pretoria and Johannesburg. Prior to that, I spent a brief time in Maseru. During this time, I've been involved in many community engagement projects and that interest in community engagement is ongoing and it's something that actually originated from when I was teaching at the University of Khartoum immediately after my graduation. I have had constant concern around concepts of participation and deepening our understanding around that concept. As I like to say, when I talk about participation, I do not refer to the sit around the table and talk type of participation. I believe that my project introduces a new way to think about participation. For many years, I've been interested in community engagement, in participation, in concepts of co-design, and I became interested in these concepts long before they became popular. In including multiple voices in decision-making around cities, I believe that the inclusion of communities in decision-making is crucial. So I've looked at aspects of participation and design decision-making from a design perspective and from the perspective of architecture. I believe that there is an important place for that, and I actually believe that it has been undermined in current conversations. I believe that in a South African context, we have neglected to put design at the forefront of what we do. And I believe that this has been a reason for many of the shortcomings and for the lack of transformation that we see in our cities and in our city spaces. The lack of access to opportunity and the disadvantage that large proportions of our populations continue to face can be resolved through design solutions. So in exploring design and spatial transformation, 
I will be using the two contexts I know best, and that is my home country of the Sudan and making comparisons with South Africa and then drawing parallels with other cities in Africa, such as Lagos or Cairo, and engaging in dialogue with other researchers and architects and spatial practitioners in those cities. In this process, I will be highlighting work that my postgraduate students are doing, and I will be profiling these researchers and my collaborators and partners. In the comparison between my home country and South Africa, some of the issues include political transitions. So in 2019, Sudan went through a major political transition where the Sudanese overthrew a 30-year-old dictatorship. For myself, as someone who has resided in South Africa for so many years and knowing and understanding the South African context deeply, when the Sudanese revolution erupted, one of the things that struck me powerfully was how Sudanese I am. For many years, I disconnected because of the despair and the political crisis in the Sudan and the instability. Yet this political transition was significant for many of the Sudanese in the diaspora. I believe this is something that will have parallels with many other African contexts and Africans who live outside of the continent. Africans are scattered throughout the globe and there will be parallels with their experiences in how they relate to the homeland. So while we disconnected from the Sudan for various reasons, the political transition made us aware of the dual affiliations that we hold and continue to hold very strongly. It also made us aware of the various relationships that we continue to have with multiple contexts and the fact that identity or being able to identify with those multiple contexts is the reality for many Africans. So in my deep engagement with the transitions that have happened to South Africa, I have been reflecting on the transitions that my home country is going through. When the Sudanese revolution erupted, we became very aware and alert about the South African experience with political transitions and what lessons could be extracted from it, but also what the pitfalls are that we needed to avoid. What became apparent was the relationship between real geographic space, being located in a particular geographic location and virtual space. With the Sudanese revolution, it became very apparent that we not only hold these multiple affiliations, but for us as Sudanese in the diaspora, it became evident that our role in the Sudanese revolution, while we occupied a very different geographical space, was profound. Our involvement was complete despite the physical distance. That was one of the issues that emerged very strongly for me, the issue of multiple identities. As an architect, what became evident was also that in both contexts, space is highly disputed and public space is appropriated in various ways. In certain cases, public space became space of protest. The occupation of public space emerged strongly as a powerful tool that communities used to make their voices heard. These kinds of occupation of public space lead to conflict and sometimes these occupied spaces are eradicated in aggressive or hostile responses by authorities. Sadly, with the dispersal of the occupation at the military headquarters in the Sudan in 2019 and conflicts around space that happen in South Africa and the constant struggle for access to opportunities and access to space becomes a very familiar subject that we deal with daily. 
So the differences in the sense of the right to space and the right to opportunity and the right to access come to the forefront in both contexts and similarities come to the forefront for me very strongly as an architect and designer. So many years into democracy in South Africa, the spatial realities of apartheid have not changed and it became obvious to me that if we were to meaningfully contribute to the spatial transformation in the Sudan as architects, designers, planners and urbanists, we could learn from what South Africa has not managed to do, and that is to transform space, to transform cities, and to transform people's relationship to the city. So South Africa has not achieved this so many years into democracy. What can we learn as we are conceptualizing new policies and new structures for the Sudanese cities? Apartheid city structures perpetuate, and they are still very evident and impact on people's daily lives. Despite all of the policies and intentions, many of them very positive and very progressive, change has not been implemented. A lot of these policies and intentions are well aligned with global thinking around the matter and current approaches towards city space and housing. But in terms of actual implementation and on-the-ground realities, not much change has been achieved. Implementation has not kept up with progressive thinking and progressive policy change has not translated into implementation. So the Sudan, being in a situation where we are conceptualizing new policies and being in a situation where we are still trying to figure out what kind of thinking and direction the country should take, we tend to focus on outdated approaches to the city, to planning and to housing. And these outdated narratives still dominate the conversations in the Sudan. South Africa has at least progressed a lot in terms of its policies and its narrative. As mentioned, it has not progressed in terms of implementation. Sudan needs to progress in terms of that narrative and in terms of policies. Conversations in the Sudan currently are not truly pro-poor and they are not truly inclusive and they are not truly equitable. There's incredible spatial disadvantage, and disadvantage influences large segments of society. While these disadvantages might have been premised on racial differences in South Africa during the apartheid era, and racialized policies and spatial policies in the Sudan, it's different, but it led to similar situations. Sudan gained its independence in 1956, but some of the regulations that created the city of Khartoum at that time still very much perpetuate and reflect very strongly on the spatial configurations of the city. The same situation happens with public transport systems failing because of the spatial fragmentation. We end up having large segments of populations in both contexts having to spend a lot of time and a lot of money and a large percentage of meagre incomes on transport, and a very large proportion of the day goes towards spending time on transport, getting to and from job opportunities. This leaves people in a perpetual state of disadvantage, and this disadvantage is passed on from generation to generation. Despite the very different socio-political circumstances and the very different histories and the political circumstances, there's a lot of spatial parallels. I'm trying to, and I will do this throughout this podcast series, to bring my own personal experience and to bring those experiences to feature strongly in how we perceive African cities and African space. 
I will be seeking to hear voices and to bring those voices to the fore that have so far been excluded from built environment conversations. So this is not only an academic exercise, but it's also very deliberately bringing those voices into the academic sphere so that we understand people's lives within these cities and how people are influenced on a day-to-day basis by these spatial realities. I will also be investigating how these spatial realities have denied people opportunities, have offered them opportunities, how they have advantaged or disadvantaged them. So we will be looking at the academic projects that we are busy with, but we will also be exploring these academic projects through these personal experiences. So I have offered here as an opening a comparison between two very different contexts in Africa. And that sets the scene for a method, almost, that I will be using throughout these podcasts in terms of trying to understand, compare and share lessons, generate dialogue and start changing the narrative and owning the narrative about African space and African people and looking at African stories and African voices in city spaces. I hope that that will lead us into many podcasts and conversations around reimagining a future for African cities. Thank you, Professor. What an engaging conversation. We acknowledge our supporters and funders who make this podcast possible. The Twani University of Technology, the Department of Science and Technology, the National Research Foundation, and the South African Cities Network. We have not always been encouraged to bring our own heritage, our own voices, our own backgrounds into the academic realm. On the contrary, we've always been encouraged to look elsewhere for knowledge. That is how I studied in the 80s, and that is how a lot of academia on the African continent functioned. Now it is a very different situation. In South Africa, specifically after the Fees Must Fall movement in 2015, we have become more and more alert to the fact that with the call for decolonization, we cannot continue to operate in the same way that we were taught in the 80s. In the 80s, our local heritage and local experiences were very much ignored. So by encouraging people in academia and the built environment professions to come with their own voices and their own heritage and their own background, we are able to transform our professions. This is incredibly valuable at this time. So what I've done as an opening to this podcast series is I've offered something about my heritage and my background. And I've also offered something that relates both to the Sudan, my home country, and to South Africa, the place where I currently reside. This idea of having multiple affiliations is not uncommon. There are differences and similarities between many contexts. There are aspirations that are shared by many and individual aspirations. But we will also find that a lot of aspirations are shared by individuals and communities and there are many parallels. This podcast and all of my efforts as chair will aim to bring these personal stories and experiences to the fore. There will also be an attempt to bring different languages into play in this space as I bring diverse voices to participate with me in conversation. 
I will be sharing my vision for African cities. I will be unpacking the concepts of livable and lovable cities. And I will be arguing strongly that design is crucial in all of this. I will be relying on many concepts, authors and theories. And I will be making specific reference to South Africa while showcasing many other African contexts.